All right. After you listen to this episode, especially if you are in the Charleston, South Carolina area, click on the link in the show notes. The One New Humanity Charleston Foundation announces their inaugural event for the city of Charleston and the surrounding communities to come together with one heart and purpose with all classes, races, and denominations to pray for unity, healing, and peace. The event will be on November the 20th at 2 p.m. There are volunteer opportunities as well as opportunities to contribute funds to cover the costs of the event. Event from promotion to production. The prayer here is that every church in the Low Country and all of South Carolina will play an important role of uniting our communities, city, and state. Enjoy the episode. Just because I don't believe or agree doesn't mean I can't learn from you. Why did you have to bring that up? <laughs> okay, that one I'm super embarrassed about. <laughs> Do you like me? Do I like you? Yeah. As a, as an individual or as, yeah, a, as, as a person? No, I like you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. And I don't have any interest in appearing to be stronger than I am. I ain't bound to Nebuchadnezzar statue. He gonna leave. You feel me? How do we love people who see the world differently than we do? What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. What's uh, up, what's up, radio, Brittany? <laughs> I know it's so funny when you call me Brittany because I, oh, I, yeah. I exclusively I, right. go by pretty much Sparkle now. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, only like my dad calls me Brittany. Um, Joey and my dad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm Sparkle. I work for uh, 95SX and 96.9 The Wolf here in Charleston. Best job in the world, being a radio DJ. Awesome. Do they yes. need a Christian podcast? Just uh, let us know. <laughs> And Natasha, you, you were telling me that you, you married a Charleston boy. You're from North Carolina. Yes. I'm originally from North Carolina. I was born in Salisbury and yes, I married Roderick in 2010. And so I moved here. Um, I've always loved Charleston. So yeah, he got me here. So I just recently moved campuses. So I was at the Dream Center since 2008. And so now this year I started at Mount Pleasant. I'm still pastoring, worshiping and doing some scheduling for the venues. And yeah. really good worship leader. Oh, so good. The conversation that people are about to hear, I, I, Reverend Anthony, this yeah, is, this is, is like this is a couple our... miles from where I live. I was on Twitter and my boss sent me a message and this is really bad. I ignored it because I was like, it's a shooting. It happens all the time. Yeah. Like, and then um, he goes, no, Sparkle, reread what I just re- sent you. Yeah. And I opened it up and I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember going into work and I was right after the morning show. And um, so my boss comes in at the time and he's like, hey, this is like, we're going to do a very somber show. Like, no jokes, no nothing. Let's keep it clean. And honestly, keep it clean. <laughs> No, like, like, oh my God, my hair is so great. Like nothing like that. Gotcha, gotcha. And, um, so honestly the whole show, the whole five hours I was on air that day was talking about how shocked I was. I was just so emotional about when you find out that you lost a loved one, those like couple of days that, cause I have lost a couple of people uh, very quickly in my life. That hit me on another level. And my heart was breaking for the family members yeah. that were just finding out. So as I'm on air, they're probably all finding out that they lost someone. And I just kept being like, I don't know what to say. And there are some breaks where I just said, I'm really sorry. I didn't have a lot of words, which is crazy because I speak for a living. I just, <laughs> I just kept being like, I'm sorry. And I'm really sorry if you're finding out somebody died today. That's close to you. And it was a very somber day yeah. in the studio. Yeah. We talk, love your enemies all the time. It's the crux. It's one of the crux of our faith. Have you guys ever come face to face with that challenge of having to forgive someone who sinned against you in a, in a deep way. I think growing up, I've always just been an empathetic person. I've always wanted to give forgiveness and receive it. So like just thinking about that question, I'm like, I don't think so. I've just Mm -hmm. always like, even in my marriage, it's like, if there's any tension at all, I'm going to be the first one to say, okay, let's just, let's just squash it. Because I would much rather us be okay than for it to just metastasize into something, you know, out of our control. I just don't remember an instance where I've had an issue with forgiving. Now, towards myself, that's something different, I think. Tell me more about that. I feel like there's been some things in my life. I don't know how far you want to go, but I've had an abortion. And that part, like being able to just be okay with me after I made that decision— 
has been something that I've had to work on for years. Even like looking at my children and feeling like there was one Mother's Day that I had, maybe last year, not this year, but I just thought, you know, you're getting all these accolades as a mom. Like your kids is just writing you beautiful cards and your husband is just telling you how wonderful you are. (laughs) And so I just remember like I don't want to hear any of that because I killed my child. That has been something that I've had to accept, like the forgiveness comes from God and not me myself, though. Yeah. I mean, with therapy and I like I lead a um, a post-abortion healing group with my act of service with that, like helping other women be able to walk that out. I'm able to be OK right. with the journey I decided. Right. To. Thank you for sharing that, by the yeah. way. That's yeah. that's heavy, heavy. Have y'all heard the, uh, and people may say it's cheesy, I I love it, but we're justified just if I'd never done it at all. Y'all heard that before? Just Oh, you haven't? Oh, wow. Wow, then I'm telling y'all that for the first, that's great. Are we having a sermon? Yeah. (laughs) But but what's... I'm feeling feeling the spirit of the Lord, yes. (laughs) I, I had to one time apply that to another person who I needed to forgive. It, it felt like, I, God, I don't know how to, to practice forgiveness here. I just, I don't have the strength mm-hmm. to do so. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I feel like it was the Holy Spirit that basically said, look, y- your sin, it's just as if you had never done it. You're, mm-hmm. you're justified. You're, wow. you're, you're good to go. Wow. It's like, you never did it. I think if God was speaking, he would say, I'm opening the door for you to apply that right. same thing to them, even if they're not asking me for it, even if they're not asking Joey for it. Mm. And I literally, I, it, it maybe it was like a, a, a mental trick that God <laughs> took over, but I basically told myself that person never did that to me. Mm. So what is there to forgive? Now, I, I don't know if that was avoidance. <laughs> <laughs> But it worked. Oh, I mean, I heard one time a sermon. I think it was it was I was younger where uh, the pastor said, uh, you know, how you're like, I got to think about forgiving you. Well, Jesus didn't think about forgiving us. No. He just did it. And that changed my life. And I, I was it was probably like six or seven years ago when I was struggling with a, a hurt. And I was just like, how can I ever forgive this? And I didn't sit there being like, let me journal about this, Brittany. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take all your sins right now. Right. It really was that easy. It's it's not a process. And, you know, like I just dealt with a, a big church hurt actually um, last year, and I've never had a church hurt in my life. I've loved church my entire life for years and years and years. And I sat down one night and I was crying about it. And I was like, God, I don't think I can forgive this person because they hurt the place that I'm the safest yeah. was at church. Mm-hmm. And they took that safety away from me. And God was like, really? Because I wasn't in heaven being like, you know, Jesus, let's journal through this. Right. <laughs> let's journal through you going to the cross to forgive all these sins. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he goes, you need to instantly forgive. And then, and it's okay to carry the hurt and the consequences of that. I've never heard just like, cause I still was yeah. like, I forgive you, but I didn't well, <laughs> right. trust you again. Right. right. And, and I don't think that we forget in a way of necessarily trusting that person again. Yeah. Right. Like for example, if someone takes advantage of your, your child, right. you need to forgive at some point, but you're not going to let them take care of your children anymore. That's such peace. Yeah. To, I mean, you don't have to forget, but like to be okay and to be like, cause sometimes I'll be like, God, you got to deal with that. And that's how I, I do. I, I'm a lot of putting things on the shelf. Yeah. I do a lot of like, God, you got to take care of this emotion because if I sit here and stew on it and for him to say that, I remember after re- watching that clip, I was like, I don't think I could forgive anybody that killed a family member. Right. Of mine. I really right. don't know if I yeah. could do it. And what he demonstrates too, I think should, as God's children, give us some peace when we're in a season of not being able to forgive because it's almost fruitless for us to even labor for that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Our, our energy should just be praying, God, please give me a heart because Reverend Anthony Thompson would tell you in a heartbeat that my heart was so broken and so calloused, forgiveness was not on my mind. And God gave that to him. Yeah. There's always a lot of people in the middle of of something that requires forgiveness. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes we can put so much pressure on ourselves, but no, you have a, a good shepherd that will walk you through this, that yes. will actually help you because it is something that we need to be rescued from bitterness and yeah, unforgiveness. True. You know, we're hurt, we've been damaged, we've been abused. 
Some people don't know how to come get that off of them. They think they have to do it themselves. You cannot do it yourself. you got to go to the Lord. And a lot of people actually say, well, when I forgive them, then how do I get my peace? Well, you don't get it. God gives it to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie in green pastures. And He leads me and restores me. Surely but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Loving enemies is an integral part of the gospel, part of the Great Commission from the mouth of Jesus, a core foundation of our faith. But not everyone has to stare into the eyes of an evildoer who took the love of our life, a true enemy that robbed today's guest of his greatest gift. This is a story of the human heart, a love story with a tragic ending, a broken heart that leads to hopelessness and an apathy both with the potential of leading to an atrophied heart. But it's also the story of a Heavenly Father who says, get up and trust. And today's guest, like most of the biblical heroes of the past, replied to God, no, I will not get up. Jesus runs after the one and he doesn't do it out of frustration, but rather true concern. In this case, his child was being destroyed by one of humanity's fiercest enemies, hatred. So with the 99 in the rear view, this particular sheep, Reverend Anthony Thompson, would not only be found by the Good Shepherd, the Shepherd's spirit would also fill him so deeply that he'd have the power to pronounce the gospel in love to his enemy, a true miracle. At the cross of Jesus, we see the example of how the body of Christ truly wins when it comes to conflict with other people on this side of heaven. Jesus could have retaliated, but instead, he asks the Father to forgive. Our passion to retaliate also finds rest at the cross. And now we try to walk with that same heart posture as we wait for the final resurrection of our bodies and souls. It's also the way Jesus laid out for us to walk in true victory. Today's guest, Reverend Anthony Thompson, had every excuse to throw in the towel and resort to bitterness instead of love. In fact, left to his own, that was his plan. In Proverbs 16.9, we read, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Reverend Anthony Thompson planned on giving up, but the Lord and his resurrection power led him to where the Holy Spirit wanted, a place to bestow healing and restoration. This is a story that resounds Paul's words emphatically, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That grace gave Reverend Thompson a heart of love for the one who shot and killed his wife and eight other brothers and sisters in Christ only two days after the massacre. We can only ponder all that happened in the spiritual realm when a man truly took the posture of the cross in his heart for his arch enemy. What we could see in plain view was a city that came together, staring into the eyes of hatred and not letting it win. Today's guest is a man whose heart said to his church family and to the rest of the city of Charleston, let he who has no sin throw the first stone. And a whole city dropped their stones, shutting the door firmly on a war against hatred that Jesus already won. I had to mentally prepare myself for this. When I woke up that morning, I was on a beach vacation with my in-laws and I I come into the living room. Everybody, mm-hmm. There's chaos, but my... <laughs> My town is on TV and I have no clue. And my right. father-in-law tells me what happens happened. You woke up that mm-hmm. morning to a nightmare that you wished didn't happen the previous day. Yes. And I I know it's probably pretty difficult, but I'd love for people to get inside your head as you walk them through okay. those days because it's so easy to see something on TV mm-hmm. and you're kind of removed from it. This was your wife. Yes. That's a totally different ball game. And when people pick up on the fact, hey, this is nine different families, obviously more than that because mm-hmm. of just how community works, nine families whose lives were completely turned upside down. Yes. How did you find out? Were, were you supposed to be at that Bible study? Tell mm-hmm. us a little about the Bible study. Okay. I mean, what, what do you know about even their welcoming of Dylan Roof? Like, just kind of give us a okay. somewhat of a narrative. Okay. That morning, it was pretty average morning. Myra and I were just prancing around the house as usual, and she was getting ready for Bible study, where she had already 
prepared this thing two months ago. I was just passing by the table and she called and said, listen, I need you to help me. We need to finish this. And by that time I was like, no, I'm done. <laughs> you know, you've been working on this thing for two months. You know, I'm done with it. But she's a perfectionist. She had this, this awe around her. I mean, just aura, just, and I'm watching her. And, she, and that morning she was, one, I mean, she was very happy. Hmm. I mean, I've never seen, not just her, but I've never seen anybody that happy. And I'm looking at her trying to figure out what's going on. And she's got this aura around her and she's looking at me and all, then she goes, why are you looking at me like that? You know? And I'm like, well, can I look at my wife, my beautiful wife? <laughs> you know? Like this is not a problem, me looking at you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, cause I, I didn't want to take away that, right. what was going on. Cause I didn't know if she was feeling it or just what was happening. And my mind was, I'll get back with her after Bible study and I'll say, Hey, what's this, what's all this joy about it? You know, what's this thing, this awe that was around you? And, um, of course that never happened, you know, and, and for a while I'm just watching her. It looks like when she's moving, it's like she's just gliding, literally gliding around the house. And I just, I can't get, I just can't get my attention off her. So I, I just sat down and, uh, she was about ready to wrap up things. And I said to her, I said, well, I said, I think I'm going to be at a Bible study with you tonight. And and normally, I wouldn't even mention that I'm going to be somewhere with her. Right. She would say she's going to be somewhere with me because it's, it's, it's mutual understanding. We're going to be there. For some reason, I had to say it. And then she went, no, I don't want you. I don't want you to come. Yeah, and I had really? that same look that you have, Joey. I was like, what? Well, I, I'm making that look because yeah. that saved your life. It, it did. It did. Of course, at the time, no idea. And the thing about it is, I don't know if she, she had an idea, hmm. you know, because for her to say, no, I don't want you to come. That was very unusual. And, I mean, am I the only one thinking mm-hmm. at like from a believer's perspective, that just feels to me like the Holy spirit mm-hmm. in her saying, you're going to be home free mm-hmm. within 12 hours from now. Yeah. And, I mean, was that where the joy was coming from? Yeah. And she didn't even know this is, this is blowing my mind. Like if that was happening, <laughs> I, I, well, I came to that conclusion, you know, after some time, because even during that day, when she was about to wrap things up, we were headed to the bedroom, same time, kind of bumped into each other. And she looked at me as to say, you know, what, what you going to do? I'm like, sure. But I couldn't move. I mean, I literally could not move to touch her. And it wasn't as if someone was holding me back. I just, I just couldn't go. My mm-hmm. mind was saying, what's wrong? And my body just was, would not move. So she just looked at me. She threw her hands up there like, Okay. <laughs> She went about her business. And when I, and when I look back on that time, you know, I understand, cause a lot of things happened prior to that, a month before that, a lot of things happened. And this, this is one of the ones that just right at the very end. And I just discovered, you know, she was already there. Yeah. She was already there. That, the, that joy and that aura around her and look as though she's floating on air. She was there already. What does that do for you? When you reflect back and does it give you a sense of peace about yeah. everything or yeah? Yeah. You know, cause there are those moments when I get sad and I do a little crying and every time I reflect on that time, it just, it just puts me right back, hmm. you know, into a better state of mind because I knew, for, I know for sure she was there with the Lord and she's there with him now. I can't explain to you what was going on that day. The best I was able to do is what I just told you. That's amazing. You know, but just, but if you were there, like I wasn't actually watching this, I mean, I was blown out of my mind, you know? And um, so I know I, I just wasn't supposed to touch her. It sounds like yeah. the type of morning the Bible says that we as believers experience who have hope, that kind of morning, mm-hmm. like you're mourning, mm-hmm. but it's not a hopeless morning. It's not a hopeless morning. So, no. How did you find out? I, I I did go to my church. We have vacation Bible school, and she is the one who influenced me to go. And did and was she telling you, by the way, about this white guy who was showing up to Bible study? Like, did you have oh, any yeah. knowledge of oh, this yeah. newcomer to yeah. your church? Oh yeah. And and was there like a lot of question marks? Like, who is this guy? Why is he interested in being here? He's young. He's white. I mean, yeah. what's what's going well, on? Well, I asked her, you know, because she came home one day, a couple of weeks or more, about this young. She said because she described she she's we had this young white guy to come to Bible study and she talked about this jet this coat he had on this long coat pretty wrapped up it wasn't really cold she said but he looked like he was homeless 
And she said, so they invited him, and, you know, come on in with open arms. I mean, she said everybody expressed the love and concern they had for him, hugged him up, gave him some money. She said, she said, and we, we hope you'll come back. We invited him to come. She couldn't get in the door fast enough. I mean, while she's closing the door, she's telling me about this guy. She, wow. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm fascinated. I'm like, well, who is he? You know, did you know, did you find anything about it? No, we don't know, but we invited him to come back. I mean, she, and she can't wait for him to come back. What a, uh, what a yeah. picture of her heart towards a new person, towards somebody mm-hmm. who maybe didn't seem like he belonged there. It sounds like there was no questioning or even suspicion. It was just openness and. Mm-hmm. So you were at your your vacation Bible study at your church, right. which for people who don't know this, uh, Reverend Thompson's church is what, maybe a block and a half right. away from, from Mother Emanuel Church. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he's led that church for how many years? Since 2010. Yeah. So mm-hmm. quite a long time. And um, so that being said, you're at a VBS event for your church. And then do you start mm-hmm. hearing well, sirens? Do you start hearing, you know? No, um, I went actually went home. Because I, my, my intentions were, was to go to the Bible study to try to get there. But she told me, you know, she said, no, I don't want you to come. Go to your church. This is the first night of vacation Bible school. The ladies there, they got a lot of drama going on. You're going to need to be there. Take care of that drama. And, and of course, I bought that, you know. <laughs> and I went, that's the only way she really got rid of me, not to come to, to the right. um, Bible study. And there was, a, there was a lot of drama going on. I just couldn't figure it out. And I tried my best to cool things down, but I never got to that point. So after I went home, I realized that I was supposed to pick up some food first. I left thinking by the time I get back home, she would be there. She still wasn't there. And no sooner than I look at my watch, someone called from Emmanuel. Well, not from the church, but a member of Emmanuel. To this day, I still don't know who it is. And she said, "Um, Reverend Thompson, let me speak to Myra. I said, well, she's not here. And this lady is persistent about, she's got to be home. And I'm like, I would know my wife's home or not, ma'am. And she said, well, hold on a minute. Got a phone call, but don't hang up. She came back to the phone, and she told me. She said, Reverend Thompson, you need to go to the church. There's some shooting going on around the church, and you need to get there. I just dropped the phone. But I'm thinking shooting is going on. Yeah, she said present tense, like there's shooting going on. Yeah, going on. you're thinking around the church. Around the church. Something's happened. Yeah, I'm not thinking actually inside the church. So I left, and I got there in about five minutes because we were right downtown, not too far from the church. And I ran into a police officer uh, that was at Calhoun and Elizabeth, and he's telling me, you can't go that way. And I'm trying to tell him, man, if you don't move, I'm going to run you over because I've got to get to this church. I explained to him who I was and why I was there. And he informed me. He said, well, we took everybody out of the church and took them over to the hotel. So I'm relieved, and I'm thinking everything's okay. I detoured the car between the Federal Building and the Second Presbyterian Church, and I just jumped jump out. Yeah. And I'm running down Meeting Street, and the service station on the left of me, of me, I saw nine ambulances strategically parked, no lights, nobody was inside. They were just parked. Right on Calhoun. Right on, Cal- right on the corner of Calhoun and Meeting, meeting Street. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this police officer didn't tell me everything. Hmm. And so I'm running to the hotel. At this point, are you thinking, I hope my wife's alive? Like, yes. is that, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. in your head. I'm thinking, you know, these ambulances are here for some reason. Right. Because, and the reason. Were you calling her or texting her or anything like that out of curiosity? Well, I didn't have a phone. Gotcha. It was good because, it, you know, I, I got rid of my phones. I was like determined not to have a phone that particular night. was, And um, I'm thinking something terrible must have happened in here. Because I've been on scenes like that before. I was the agent and I had already retired after 30 years. So I'm thinking, I've seen this more than once. So I'm running to the hotel thinking thinking the worst. Like somebody got hurt. Some people got hurt. And I hope my wife is not one of them. So I got to the hotel, found out the room they were in, and I, I gained my composure. I was sweating like crazy. And I, I didn't know how I was looking, but I know I was looking crazy. And I didn't want to open the door, and my wife be there and look at me because she's pretty, she's pretty funny. She's, and, and open the door, she goes, why are you looking like that? My God, <laughs> Jesus. How'd go, you come out of the house looking like that? Exactly. Go clean yourself up, you know? Man, but, you'd give your right arm to hear that ridicule in that oh day, wouldn't you? Gosh. Because that's exactly what I thought I would have heard. I hadn't accepted anything yet. It was just not sure. And as I opened the door, didn't see anybody. Then I looked to my left, and there was um, Felicia Sanders, one of the survivors, and her granddaughter, who was a survivor. And they, they were just... Crying, like crazy crying. And was she the one that 
I think Dylan said he left some people alive oh. so that they could spread the news. That was, was Polly Shepard. Okay. Like to my right. She was to my right. Okay. She had her head down on the table and she was crying. So they never really saw me except when I turned to go back out the door and Felicia Sanders came up to me and she said, um, Anthony, she said, Myra's gone. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, yeah, that's her. She does things like that. And I said, she, she can't keep still. I said, but I'll just wait till she comes back. And she said, no, she's gone. I said, I heard you. I heard you. You know, I said, I'll just wait till she comes back. She said, she's not coming back. Oh my God. just, yeah. And so, uh, I just broke through the hotel door. I just busted out there. Uh, next thing I know, I'm laying down on the flower bed of the hotel outside. I'm, 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 I'm saying, Lord, please, don't, you know, don't let anything happen to her. And if something happened, if she got shot, don't let her suffer. Crazy, crazy praying. I kept looking at the church, and something says, run over there. But by that time, everybody was out there. They had the yellow tape around everything, DEA, FBI, mostly first responders. Yeah. And they were all over the place. I'm trying to think I'll never make it. I just, something said, just get up. And I got up and I ran, ran over toward Emmanuel Church. And there's a gate adjacent to the door where all the police officers and first responders were just going in and out. So I figured that was the door I needed to go into. So I'm running towards that door and I grab a hold of that gate. And just before I, I could step th- over the gate with both feet, somebody pulled me back. Found out later on it was an FBI agent, which we tussled for a long time. It took four people to actually, five people to actually hold me down because I just, I was determined to get in there. To this day, I'm glad I didn't, you know, but at the time, uh, I, I, I thought I needed to because yeah. all I can think about, if she's in there suffering, I need to be there with her. If she's on her way, I need to be there with her. Yeah. You know, after asking a lot of questions, because they couldn't answer any of my questions. Every time I asked a question, it was like, well, we don't know. We can't tell you this, or we don't know. We can't tell you that. So the last question I asked him, I said, well, are the people who are in Bible study still inside the church? I said, yes. I said, well, why can't they come out? Then again, well, we don't know. We can't tell you. So by that time, I assumed the worst. And that's when I just fell out on the ground. Mm. Excuse me. I fell on the pavement of Calhoun Street. I, I just cried. I mean, I cried uncontrollably. I, I, I've never lost control like that. I mean, not even at the worst funeral, but that, that night I literally cried like a baby and I just, I couldn't stop. And um, I heard his voice saying, get up real harsh. But before that, I just kept, I just kept, I just let the Lord know I'm done. This is it. I'm no longer going to be the pastor at Holy Trinity Church. You know, Mara and I had some some uh, ministries. I said, I'm just going to throw all that in. I was um, mentoring kids. I said, I'm not doing, I mean, nothing. I was like, I'm not doing any of that anymore. I mean, I just literally threw a towel and I said, and, and leave me alone. Don't bother me. But he kept coming. He just kept coming. And I was, I mean, I, I literally put my hands in my ears. <laughs> like, like I'm not going to hear him, right? <laughs> and, and saying, leave me alone, you know, and. Did you get swallowed up by a fish at any point in time? (laughs) Yes. Somebody asked me that same question. Yes, I I was definitely Jonah at the time, no doubt. Who wouldn't be? You know, I mean. So we all have a story, right, of where we were when we heard about that, those of us that are here in Charleston. um, And this is the first time I've ever heard you tell your story. So thank you for like letting us into what has to be, you know, one of the most dark nights of your, your life, if not Mm. the most dark, obviously I came down that night. uh, I'd gotten a call from a police chaplain, uh, Rob Dewey, who I'm sure, you know, Rob. Yes. Yes. So I came down, uh, was at the, the hotel, but couldn't really get, it was just such a crazy scene. Nobody knew anything at that point. We didn't know if there was anybody that had been killed, if there was a lot of, you know, we, we didn't know any of the details that we know now. But he told you there was a shooting you need to come? We knew, well, Dewey we knew said? there was a shooting. I mean, the news, at this point, the news has picked it up and all of that. So I'm just driving around the perimeter that I can get around. You don't know at that point, is there a shooter on the loose, which obviously there was. You didn't, we just didn't know anything. It was, you know, and mm-hmm. so just praying and praying, but I don't think I'll ever be able to walk on Calhoun Street in front of that building without thinking about the tears that you put into the mm-hmm. the ground that night and you and many others. But so thanks for sharing that. Here's what I want to know. Joey, I'm taking over your interview. Yes, sir. I didn't know 
Reverend Thompson and I have known each other for a number of years yes. prior to that. Uh, we did a 40 days of community as a church and there were about 30 or 40 char- churches mm-hmm. in Charleston that did it together. It's a program that Rick Warren had put together and had a big event at yeah. the Joe Riley Stadium, Charleston River Dogs. And, uh, you did the opening for that. Yeah. And so, and we'd been on a news program together to talk about that. And so we'd known each other. Yes. Uh, I show up through, the police chaplaincy on Friday morning. So that's Wednesday night. Thursday is the day that they find Dylan Roof and, and arrest him. Friday is the day of his bond hearing. And I'm there in the kind of main area. And I oh, watch yeah. you walk in yeah. with some of your, your friends and family members and right. walked into another room. And I thought to myself, Oh, good. Reverend Thompson is ministering to people through this. Mm-hmm. Just assuming, because I didn't know anything at that I point. I know. I know. And then this moment happens where you're at the bond hearing and the judge asks, and I don't want to, I want to let you tell this story. Two days later, less than two days later, mm-hmm. you're able to say what you said to, to the killer. So take us through that moment. And then my question is, how do you get to that point so mm-hmm. quickly I know. that you can say, I forgive you? It was a really a, a miraculous situation. It was it was divine intervention because you heard me said I threw in the towel, didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord anymore. But he, he just kept coming at me. I'm I'm on the ground and he's saying get up, very harsh. And so that voice, get up, was yeah, was the Lord. Was the Lord. Wow. I mean, this is all in my ears, and I'm like, it's coming from the crowd. And the first time I heard it, I'm looking up like, why 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 is somebody talking to me like that? And the second time, I'm about ready to fight somebody, you know, because I just want to get this off of me. And, and nobody's, nobody's watching me. And the third time, I was like, okay, I got it. Obviously, the, the biggest part of this conversation is your loss and the redemption of all that. But that's probably never happened to you before, hearing the voice of God audibly. Is that, I mean, but it did. That's why I knew it was him. Brought it to my attention. When I was seven years old, living in Charleston, there's a... Used to be a store called Piggly Wiggly, right? Yes, sir. Right in the corner of King and Romney back in my day, where the where the moss is at now. And I used to go out there to kick up leaves and you know look, search for money. And that voice called me three times, called me by my first name, Anthony. I was seven. You know, children I played with. I'm searching all around. I don't see anybody. And the third time it says, "I'm God. You're going to be a preacher." And I'm like, "Not me." <laughs> and I run home and tell my grandmother she's happy. But yeah, I, so, so you've I, heard this. So before. I've heard this before. I mean, it's, it's been a little while. It's been a little. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while. As a matter of fact, I wrote a poem about it, saying "Whisper in My Ear," wow. because he, that's what he did for yeah. for almost twenty something years yeah. before I actually went to the yeah. seminary. Yeah. So the miracle in that bond so, here. Well, and well, and now you're hearing that same mm-hmm. call mm-hmm. in a moment where you're sure it's over. Exactly. That's that is wild. So God is coming back to you, saying, "Hey, I'm still I'm still calling your name." He's coming back to me, and I'm I'm ref- trying my best to refuse to do anything he says. And by that third time, I'm literally I am literally trying to get up off the ground, but I couldn't get up. And this is when I found out later on, Pastor Spike Coleman, one of the first responders, he's on the Coastal Crisis Chaplaincy. He actually picking me up, and I'm I'm looking at him, and I'm, and all I can remember saying to him is, "I don't know what to do." I must have said that a thousand times that night. And uh, as a matter of fact, he and I talked about that this morning because I literally did not know what to do. You know, my purpose, I had no purpose at that time. She was gone, and, and that, that was it for me. And then he had the audacity to give me a Bible scripture, St. Luke 17th chapter, which says that people will do things to you, or things will happen in life to cause you to stumble. And I'm like, yeah, okay, so I'm stum- stumbling in my faith. Tell me something new, you know. So, I love how you said he had the audacity. I love it. Yeah, you know. Because yeah. I told him I'm not preaching. I'm not going to be passing right. anymore. So why are you throwing this stuff at me, right. you know? And then it ends with saying, forgive. I'm like, yeah, I'll see it. But I didn't read it then. I didn't know it then. It comes, this was coming to 48 hours later, just for the bond hearing. I, I read the scripture at home, and I'm thinking, he wasn't talking to me. He was having nothing to do with me except I'm stumbling in my faith. That's all. And then my daughter comes and says, Father, they found a man who killed mom. Name is Dylan Roof. have a bond hearing for him today. I look at her like, so what? She said, we got to go. I said, I'm not going. She said, Father, we got to I said, I'm not going. I, I, you, know, you, you heard me say what I used to do as an agent. Took many people to bond hearings. I didn't find it to be very important because take them to a bond hearing, they get a bond set, they go into the sales. I know they were not going to release him. 
So I didn't find it to be very important. And then my, my daughter, she's very persistent. So I knew what to do with her. I, I politely went to my bedroom, closed my door, took my clothes off, put on my pajamas, put my head, cover of my head so I could just be by myself. Mm-hmm. And she came right in that room, lift the cover of my head and like, father. I'm like, oh man, what do you want? What do you want? I'm not going. She said, well, if you're not going, I'm not going. Needless to say, she got next to me. And I said, and I jumped up. I said, listen, my son was there too. Kevin, I said, we're going to go. I said, well, we're not going to say one word. They're not rough with them before. So they were trying to figure out why I'm being so mean. I was very adamant about not saying anything. I said, if you say anything, whatever you say, you're going to hear it again. I said, and when you hear it again, they're going to come to me and say, your son said this, your daughter said that. I said, I'm going to say, I don't even know them. <laughs> Not my son, but Pete, uh, yeah. Peter. I, I never knew him. Exactly. That's your, your heart wasn't raw at the time or anything. Uh, <laughs> yes. It was like, you know, I just didn't. Oh, gosh. Didn't care what I say. Right. Didn't want to right. be bothered. Yeah. And I pulled a Peter. Yeah. And and so I said, okay, we're going. And so we got dressed. We, we got there and people were everywhere, just like you, you saw. And we were walking inside the, the room the bar, where the bar hearing was at. And the first voice I heard was Nadine. You remember Nadine? Mm-hmm. Her mom was one of the people killed. And she was saying things like, took my mom, the only way I love. We'll never see her again. But we forgive you. Lord have mercy on your soul. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't take this. She said, no, we got to go. We got to go. When she sits me down, here comes the magistrate. Is there anybody here who would like to say Anything in reference for the Myra Thompson family, I'm going like, oh, got to be kidding. Here comes that voice again. Get up. I've got something to say. Yeah. I didn't even bother to even try to battle with him, you know, because by that time, believe it or not, the law was like a pest. Okay. And so I just got up and I'm walking toward the podium and he's behind, you know, the television screen. I'm saying, Lord, now you said you have something to say. Say it because I don't have anything to say. Don't embarrass me up here because I'm not going up here with my mouth closed. I'm about ready to turn around again. And he convicts me. He said, you're a sinner, just like Dylan. And I'm like, what? A sinner? Oh, no. I'm not going up here to tell anybody I'm a sinner. Don't put me on this level. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Don't put me with him. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out why is he talking to me? Why are you convicting me? I'm not, well, I didn't do anything. But he continues, you know, and all I'm hearing is I died on the cross for you. And I died on the cross with Dylan. And then here comes the punchline. In my sermons, a lot of times I would tell people, if your loved one died, if your husband or your wife died, or your son or your daughter died, if you cherish their body, you cherish the Lord, what are you going to do? And he asked me, and, and he's reminding me, that's what I used to tell my people. Now he wants to know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, you got to be kidding. It hit me. It came, it came home. It brought me back to home. Because all I can think about my Sunday school days, church days, my, my parents, how I see and how they exemplify forgiveness, you know, through discrimination, segregation, the whole nine yards, and how I even forgive some people. I'm saying to myself, all right, I'm a pastor, you know, and, and my congregation really needs to know how I'm doing because if I'm not doing okay, they're not going to be doing okay. All this stuff is coming to me. I mean, he's like punching me. And then all of a sudden, I just remember opening my mouth saying, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, confess. That was you. That was- Representative of the family of Myra Thompson. Sir, would you like to make a statement before this court? Please come forward. Your name, sir? Anthony Thompson. Mr. Thompson. You're saying the same thing that was just said. You know, I forgive you and my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent, repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change it, can change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than what you are right now. Surely goodness and will follow me surely goodness and love will follow me surely goodness and love will follow me. I'm 
sitting across the table from a guy who I listened to that video multiple times. The darkness on his face is also something I can't get out of my head. Like, if you don't believe in the spiritual realm, look into that kid's eyes. Mm-hmm. And you may have another thought about another it. Thought. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, no, seriously. Because let me tell you what happened. Before I even started saying anything, the Lord said, get his attention. I'm like, huh, seriously, how this going to happen? Because he had his head down the entire time. But when I said, I said, when I said, give your life to the one that means the most Christ, he lifted his head up just for a few seconds. And I saw in his eyes, I saw a, a, a kid mm-hmm. who really was kind of sorry, but didn't want to, mm-hmm. didn't want to show. Just lost, completely lost. Yeah, yeah, just didn't know what to do. And, and, and of course I said to myself, God knows what he's talking about. Cause I, I, I wasn't looking for that. And then I went on to tell him, I said, you're in a lot of trouble right now. I said, but he can change your ways. He can change your attitudes. He'll change your life. I said, because you're in a lot of trouble right now, but no matter what happens to you, if you do just that, you're going to be all right. And I remember walking away and I'm thinking, this is it. And then my body begins to shake. I'm shaking from my neck down to my arm. I feel like something's coming out of my fingers and I'm looking at my fingers. One time I thought, am I having a heart attack or what? You know, I was, just didn't know what to think because I'm trembling. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my fingers, but nothing's coming out. And then before you know it, I'm, I'm light as a feather. I mean, light, the madness, anger, the hate, even the sadness I had felt about my is just all gone. This piece, this piece that God's talking about, it is real. Yeah. Okay. Can't understand it. It's beyond our understanding, huh? Oh, my God. It is. It's not the kind of piece that comes in and goes out. It comes in a stage right there. You know, and, I, and I had that piece down today. That's what enabled me to move forward. In my life, I was walking away there different than when I came in. Golly. Completely different than when I came in. And my and my children, the amazing thing, they saw the difference. They were like, what happened? Maybe that's part of why that moment was so significant for our city, because you weren't just getting up there and saying something that you had rehearsed and were saying it because you knew it was the right thing to say. You were, you were allowing God to work out what he was working out in you. Mm-hmm in front of the world, mm-hmm. you know, to know how real and significant that moment was for you personally sort of makes sense for why it was so powerful for, for everybody else. Cause I mean, you could have gotten up there and practiced a hundred times to say the right words and it wasn't going to come across in the way it did in that moment. I, I didn't even think about this. Josh is, I mean, you, you could have fulfilled Dylan Roof's Mm-hmm. desire, you could have started a race war. That's right. Like, here's what's so crazy is this is within the year of Baltimore and mm-hmm. there was no, and this isn't a political statement by any means, there's just no rioting in Charleston. None. And I've never connected the dots. I mean, I'd imagine that's connected to this stuff that the Holy Spirit's working out in your heart. Mm-hmm. Yes. No rioting? No rioting. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, I truly believe that you and the, the other families that were involved you set the table for for the city of Charleston to respond the way that we did. You basically, in a, in a role that you never applied for and certainly didn't want, you became the leaders. And I think, you know, I, I think a testimony to the world of how to walk in the hardest stuff that the Bible teaches. I mean, yeah. it's, yes, it's hard to forgive somebody who um, offends you with their words or whatever, but to walk through what is, I think, the hardest, like, love your enemies Jesus came and raised the bar so high on the calling on our lives and you guys did it and, and set the table for, for all of us to like, how could, how could I <laughs> mm-hmm. respond in hatred after watching somebody who was hurt so right. deeply respond in love? So it was almost like a, you know, for, for the people who were just on the, the sidelines watching and feeling all the things, it, it was almost, um, like offensive in the best way, mm-hmm. like, like challenged yeah. everything about how I wanted to respond and how I was even responding on the inside was like, nope, that's not the way of Christ. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the way of Christ. This is how you do it. Yeah. I often point back to this when I'm talking about forgiveness. Yeah. Because I feel like I've never walked through something so hard to forgive. So it's like, I got to I gotta point to something else to refer. Okay. Hey, this is what forgiveness looks like. Yeah. And it seems like even the church has bought in to this whole cancel, point the finger, let's ridicule people on social media about mm. things in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the context of this conversation. Yeah. 
meaningless stuff. Yes. In the grand scheme of things, people that are going off on social media, they didn't lose their wife to a shooter. What I want to ask you, because you, you really have, you have ground to stand on to speak about this. Like when it comes to like the cross of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. the church, we won Mm -hmm. because the cross of Jesus Christ won. And oh yeah, let's not forget. Jesus said, father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, we read that Jesus could have called at any time angels to totally vindicate him and, yeah. and take care of business. That was our victory, Christ surrendering. And and now everything is met in the cross of Jesus Christ. But it seems as if society as a whole and the church has bought into it also. A lot of the church mm-hmm. oh, we don't need to mess with that love stuff. Not the radical love stuff. Love your enemies? Nah, not if not if they're like this, you know, there's certain enemies we love, but not those ones. <laughs> exactly. As a pastor, I would love for you to pastor capital C church right now. And I tell people all the time, cause I had a young man in New Haven, Connecticut to come to me and say, he wants to forgive his sister. He's ready to do it, but he couldn't do it. I said, well, I know you can't, <laughs> whether you want to or not, because I was led to forgive him. You know, you got to remember, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Yeah. You get no credit is what you're saying. No credit. None. None. He led me because he knew what I needed when I didn't know what I needed, you know? And this is where we get confused at when it comes to this forgiveness thing. Um, I didn't even know I needed to forgive, forgive him. And I didn't know forgiving him would give me the peace that, that, that I have right now. I had no idea. You know, when God says he'll never forsake you, even when you don't want him around, Mm -hmm. he's right there. And that's why I explain in my book, the difference between Secular and biblical forgiveness. A lot of people believe that forgiveness comes from the person who did you wrong actually showing remorse or saying, I'm sorry. No, not really. Because first of all, the forgiveness is not for the perpetrator. Forgiveness is for the one who was, had been offended. And I didn't know that in, until God led me to all this. <laughs> because when I forgave Dylan, I told you the peace I experienced. You know, for anyone who's seeking peace because someone did you wrong, you know, we all carry burdens. And a lot of burdens in our lives come from the fact that somebody did us wrong. They said something wrong. They used us. They exploited us or whatever. And we want to get back at them to, to, to experience some kind of peace or experience some kind of satisfaction that I got this person back. You know, the Bible says you, you reap what you sow. And if you, if you sow hate, you're going to get it back. If you sow anger, you're going to get it back. It's just evident that it's going to happen. It's not letting them off the hook. It's letting you off the hook. The ones who have been offended are on a hook. You know, we're hurt. We've been damaged. We've been abused or whatever. Some people don't know how to come get that off of them. They think they have to do it themselves. You cannot do it yourself. Even if you want to forgive somebody, you've got to go to the Lord. You've got to ask him to help you to do it. First of all, you've got to ask him to forgive you for not forgiving this person. You, you have to realize that your pain, I mean, it may seem simple, but it is simple. <laughs> Your pain can easily be removed by just forgiving someone. And, and a lot of people actually say, well, when I forgive them, uh, then how do I get my peace? Well, you don't get it. God gives it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure y'all have heard this before. Everybody seems to justify their anger by pointing to the flipping of tables. That's our go-to. Yes. Oh, well, Jesus flipped tables. There are times when we need to be angry. Mm-hmm. But how, how do we balance the tension of, okay, justified anger but I'm not off the hook with forgiving. Mm -hmm. There's got to be a way of mixing those tensions. And it seems like maybe that's what we don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. Is that a God-given gift also to be able to walk that? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to that, it's all about God. You know, we have nothing to do with it except to turn to him, to be obedient to what he said about forgiving people. There's there's nothing you're going to receive peace from than doing just that. Because I'm going to tell you now, if he had just left me alone for a moment, you understand? If he had kept me, if he had not had my daughter to get me to that barn hearing, I don't know where I would be right now, right. but I would not have this peace I have. Literally, we would not be talking because I would have given up the church. I would have given up preaching. I would have given all those things up. But that forgiveness released me, you understand, from my anger, from my hate, from my sad. It just released me. It took the control that... Dylan was trying to have over me, took that control. Yeah. yeah. From a fellow believer, it feels and sounds like the death and resurrection of Jesus being applied to you. It's like mm-hmm. walking out of that bond hearing was mm-hmm. walking out of the tomb from a perspective of, oh, 
God has done something. Exactly. (laughs) I'm redeemed in Mm -hmm. this. Pain's not gone, Mm -hmm. but I... And I think, Joey, too, your question is interesting because Jesus wasn't blowing off steam when he flipped the table. He wasn't doing that for himself. And so often when we respond in anger, Mm -hmm. it's because something has got such a grip on us and control on us that we feel like we have have to spout off or have to do something or say something. I think... Jesus was flipping the tables because people were being abused and people were being, it was basically uh, the rich were getting richer in the sense that they were, they were forcing these people to buy sacrifices so that, you know, they could have access to God. And Mm -hmm. when you see stuff happen since what happened at Mother Emanuel, like, for example, if it's the police officer's knee on George Floyd's neck, like when you see some of that stuff happen and you see continued pain and and in many cases, uh, racially motivated pain. What do you have to go through that forgiveness again, or do you do you process it through that? I'm just curious how do you handle yeah, that, having yeah. been very familiar with the way that the loved ones are going to feel right. when they get the news. Yeah, um, I have a good sense of how the those loved ones feel who've been left behind, and and I, I know their pain. You know, I pray that that they will be guided you know, by the Lord to do what I did. And it may not happen right away, mm-hmm. you know, because it's going to be different for everybody. Some, for some it's a journey, for some it's a process. And one thing we have to realize too, and not saying that who did this shouldn't get the punishment they deserve. But what I'm saying is that we have to think about them as ourselves. Somebody hurt them somewhere, somehow. Maybe they didn't know about the Lord. Maybe they knew and said, the heck with it. You understand? Maybe they know that they need to forgive because I sure didn't. You know, God led me and I just thank the Lord that he was there. That's how awesome he is, that he just stuck by my side. You know, maybe he's sticking by other people's side. I don't know. But what I do know is that this is where we have to begin. We have to begin, you know, by forgiving because because all these shootings, and I mean, they're happening every day now. Somebody hurt that person somehow, some way. And the best thing we can do, I'll put it like this. Let God fight our battles, and we continue to praise Him, honor Him, and glorify His name, and just live, just listen to Him and, and live. You understand how He wants us to live. Some people ask the question about you know, why God let these things happen. I'm like you know, He gave us a free will. <laughs> you know, He didn't make it happen, but He gave us a free will. But He also made it possible when His Son had died on the cross for our sins, so that. You know, give it our life to him, then if something does happen, we have that eternal life. Yeah. This is what I look towards, you know. And so my point is, if something does happen, if I lose my life today, just like my wife, you know, I told you all the experience we had at the house, the aura and the joyfulness and the fact that knowing she was already in her glory, that's the good thing about knowing where your loved one is. Yeah. When something like this happens, you know what I'm saying, to help you get over it. You know, to help you listen to the Lord. If you do believe in that everlasting eternal life, then you know where your loved one is. You don't know what's going to happen to you in a few minutes. But I do know if something happened to me, well, I'll see you. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I wouldn't want to be you because I'm gone. People ask me, they say, well, if, if you had the opportunity to see your wife again, would you want to come back? I'm like, seriously? Come back here? I'd rather go to her than right. have her come to me. <laughs> She'd be so yeah. mad. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, and, and, and that's the point I'm trying to make when I, when I go around speaking in terms of, the, you know, people being angry. It's okay to be angry. It's fine. Just like what our, our pastor Josh said, you know, the Lord wasn't doing this, you know, so much out of hating people. He was doing it because of what people were doing, exploiting other people. But in a good way. I was going to get into this territory and you already mm-hmm. beautifully yeah. brought us here is I think that is what we're missing. What is, what's the background of this person? Like I wouldn't even say someone necessarily, I mean, maybe someone made Dylan Roof mad. How was he raised? How was he taught? What's his brain what chemicals is, like? Not exactly. I got, I got a little mad when people was actually saying he was a mentally ill. He was just dumb. This guy was almost a genius and he was not mentally ill. During the trial, we found out that he researched Charleston's history. He realized it was 200 years of slavery, black men, uh, you know, uh, white men's parcel of the black men's. And then he realized that somebody tried to do something about it, like Denmark Vesey, and he got killed and he, you know, he was hung and, 
and they burned down Emmanuel. So he, he researched that history and he found out all these things happened. You understand what I'm saying? To, to kind of put black men back in their place. That was his intention to start a race war, especially with all the stuff that was going on in Baltimore and the stuff that was happening in other places. He thought he could make that happen here. I mean, his intention was literally to put black men back in shackles. What was Polly Shepard, who was one of the survivors? He actually told them why he was killing them that he said the black men are raping the white woman and black people are taking all the jobs. And he, he literally came there to kill the black men, not the woman. But what happened was that when he killed Reverend Clemente, he, he, he went for him and it, just, and it just kind of scared him. And he just went, shot up everybody. Gosh. Yeah. And then I guess he found it to be the thing that he just kept on shooting. Yeah. You know, but his intention was to get the black men, kill as many black men as he could. But he was very smart. I mean, he researched these things. He, he took pictures in front of plantations saying to us, this is what y'all are going to go back to. Which really, for me, makes it even that much more powerful that you can sit here and say, I forgive mm-hmm. him. Because it's almost like if you can explain it away by mental illness or it's almost like you're trying to lessen the mm-hmm. intent exactly. of the. But, but when you sit here and go, no, this person fully knew what he was doing and did this because he wanted to hurt me and everybody like me. Mm-hmm. That's Joey. You keep talking about the culture and the can't it, like, that's what our world needs to see. Even if, if they're as bad as you thought they were, the the path forward is forgiveness. forgiveness. And you already said it. It's not for them. It's, not, for it's them. not because they need it from you. You know, you can't give them what they need. <laughs> Only God can give them what oh, they God. need. Wow. I, super powerful. I was just thinking Joey and, Again, sorry for taking over, but I feel like... You do realize that you're the lead pastor of this church, I right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> but but you're, you're better at your job than I am at your job. So, But I was going to ask you this, Reverend Thompson. Somebody's been listening to this whole podcast, mm-hmm. and they're wrestling with, how do I forgive somebody who has hurt me? Uh, and who knows what that might be that's struggling with forgiving. And you've already said what can be said about it. I just wondered if you would be willing... To just pray, lead, lead us through a, a moment of just because God did something significant in you. Mm-hmm. And I get the sense he's, he wants to do that same thing for somebody even right yes. now. And would you just be willing to lead us in a prayer? Yes. Um, yeah, very willing. Yeah, let us pray. Most gracious and ever loving God, Lord, you know all about our lives. You, you know what we're thinking. You hear us. You see everything we do, be it good or bad. And you are sovereign. In the midst of what we're going through today and what we have been through, Lord, and, and our trials and our tribulations, you, you, you even told your disciples that there will be these times, but to be of good cheer, for you have overcome the world. We need you, Lord, to help someone who finds it very difficult to overcome the wrong that has been done to them, to overcome the, the hurt that came from someone else. They can't seem to do it. Maybe they don't want to do it. Maybe they're looking for another way to find relief and peace, Lord, by revenge or by just holding a grudge. You see what they're going through. You were there for me when I didn't want you around, but you stayed right there. But let them know, Father, like you, like you came to me. Let them feel your presence. And, and, and you probably are talking to them, Lord, like you spoke to me through their hearts or audibly, Lord. But dear God, maybe they just don't want to listen even if it takes someone else, Lord, to get them just to listen to you, he'll help them to do that. Take them through this process. Help them to forgive. Continue to lead them so that they can receive the peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. Help them, Lord, to feel your love, to know your love, Lord. Father, they're in your hand. They can receive their peace right now by coming to you. Help them to look to you for what's coming because our help comes only from you. And no matter how long it may take, Lord, stay in their ear until they make that right move. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. There's a link in the show notes to our podcast Facebook page where we talk about these episodes and share some behind-the-scenes information, including guests we're booking. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, DePayne, Middleton Doctor, Tawanza Sanders, Daniel Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Myra Thompson. Until we're all together again. Thank you.